welcome everybody to episode 155 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. And we're recording on Monday, unusually. And that is unusual. And it's because we had a busy Sunday. We did. We are, um, well, we're basking in the scent of victory. <laughs> Yeah, we took part in the Quiz of Rassilon lockdown quiz. It was thrown open to the internet. There was over 200 people participating, 58 teams around the world, and we did pretty good. Right, yeah, we're number two, number two in the world. (laughs) Our team was, we were joined by a friend of the show, Greg Shaw, and... Uh, Jess Jerkovic of Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who Project famed. And we came second after the entire world. Yeah, we did. And we had a lot of fun. And a yeah. big thanks to our host of the Quiz of Rasselon, who were... Mike, Beth, and Ian. Was it Ian? I thought it was Ewan. Uh It's Welsh for Ian. Ewan. Michael, Mikey, Ewan, and Beth. Yes, we uh, we were a little bit tripped up by Pid Medley's um, answer oh, smash. He's a he's a he's a cryptic, he's a fiendishly cryptic puzzle setting man. Is that Pip? <laughs> but we aced fifty out of fifty points on the actual questions on the stories, so I was happy about that. Yeah, and uh, I think we were only two points away from from the top spot weren't we Uh, two or three yeah something like that so we came very close and uh yeah i mean some of the questions were 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 pretty easy yep uh some of the questions were really hard i was impressed with the standard of question setting Mm -hmm. we had a good time and it It was was good it was awesome yeah we had some sneak peeks from uh from chris chapman's that was cool Mm -hmm. um yeah kind of a tearjerker just in the first two minutes of a sarah jane retrospective absolutely and uh a sneak peek of the making of the Fury from the Deep. Yeah, so that was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with the uh, yeah. the technological aspect of it as well. Um, that's some pretty major zoom manipulation was going on. <laughs> yep, state-of-the-art zoomology there. Yeah. And it was nice. Jess kept getting call-outs for the Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who projects. So that was... He's a popular fellow, as he should that's be. That's good. Yeah, everyone should be listening and subscribing to the Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who channel. So absolutely, check it out. And we had good coverage because I think uh, Jess took Evil and uh, Greg took Deadly Assassin, and you you had a couple there. What Planet of the Planet Dead? Planet of the Dead and, and Rose. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there, and uh, everyone else chipped in there. I guess I had the Timeless Children, and I had Zapruder the heck out of the flashback scenes and the Timeless Children. All for naught. I had spent more time. <laughs> With the Timeless Children, then I care to admit. Well, you're now an expert on the Timeless Children. You're exp- and it's it's still your favorite episode, isn't it? Of the um, you know, I'm, jo- I'm joking. It's I I don't think it's your favorite episode. Uh, despite the time invested in the Timeless Children, uh, we had a good time. It was uh, yeah. a, and a, a big thanks to Mikey and everyone else of the Quiz of Rassilon team for hosting it, and uh, we may be back. Well, that's well, we shouldn't tell them that because nope, yep. I mean we've only got one place to go up. Oh, that's true. That's true. Every yeah. it's almost all downhill from here. Exactly. Exactly. Because I think the next one's on the twenty uh, sixth of April. So we need to make sure we get to sign up in good time. Yeah, I I'm thinking about that. That really drained me for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I mean, I think they were maybe thinking about trying to get Jess to be a question setter as well. Yeah, so we'll lose a teammate. We lose him. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely be up doing it again, so uh, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. Yep. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So 
I believe we're talking about opera today and uh, yeah. Catherine Jenkins and her uh, acting debut role in A Christmas Carol. I think she's the only uh, opera star that we've had in Doctor Who. Yeah, so we're just going to talk about Catherine Jenkins for about 45 mm-hmm. minutes. And then maybe uh, branch into the Metropolitan Opera Quiz and yeah. test yeah. each other on our uh, knowledge of Italian opera. I think that would be a perfect podcast that all of our fans would very much enjoy listening to. No, yeah. you're joking, surely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What well, before you turn away, before you turn yes. away, we are we are going to talk about space opera, and I think this idea came to me as flowing out of our bonus podcast. Check it out if you haven't on uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy original radio drama. Yes, um, which of course is a is a satire, very much on space operas. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd talk about space operas in Doctor mm-hmm. Who, right? Yeah, and I guess another bit that would contribute to that, and during our podcast, you had uh, recommended Ian M. Banks. I did, that's true. Consider uh, Phoebus, the first novel in the Culture series, which I just finished reading, and it was very much a space opera. follows the protagonist, uh, Bora Horzer uh, Gopachal. As he does a secret agent thing across yeah. the galaxy. So the question is, uh, how much is Doctor Who a space opera? And so that's, I guess, our topic. Space opera. Space, space opera, op- opera and space Doctor opera Who. Space opera is our topic. Do we define space opera? Well, it's got to have spaceships in it. You think so? Okay. Yeah, there's got to be spaceships. You can't. Space opera doesn't take place on a single planet. Mm-hmm. There's got to be more than one planet. Bit melodramatic, perhaps? Uh, it's got to have a lot of high drama. Mm-hmm. And that drama has got to be, the highness of that drama has got to be sustained over a considerable period of time. So I'm thinking like a, a episodic approach like Classic Who often would do, where you'd have cliffhangers that you'd want to tune in next week to see how they got out of this escape or moved to this planet or something like that. So something like, um, so I mean, I think where Who is challenged in the space opera genre is, of course, there aren't really any spaceships. I mean, the Doctor and his companions mm-hmm. move from mise-en-scene to mise-en-scene uh, via the TARDIS, which is not mm-hmm. a spacecraft. Right, and there's no sense of voyage, really, because you step in and then you step out somewhere else. There's not that extended period of time where you're in space. You're not in space, and, and also, you know, you're not necessarily in the, time, in the same time period as well. Space, mm-hmm. you know, it's, space opera is a genre that I think is defined by space, mm-hmm. um, not really defined by time. So would you consider early on the chase to be space opera? It's on um, different planets. It does no because they're traveling by TARDIS, right? TARDIS in the Dalek uh, time capsule. Yeah, no, I don't think so. That's more of a chase through time, mm-hmm. um, I, if you will. Um, I would consider. I think um, DMP da- da- Dalek's master plan definitely. Uh, there's lots of there's spars and. Um, other kinds of spaceships. There's a mission mm-hmm. to the unknown to begin with. Yep, that's kind of the setup for Terry Nation space opera that never never got off the ground. Exactly, and uh, there's plenty of action. Uh, the stakes are very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Daleks are about to get a thing that will allow them to be, um, and the Doctor has to stop them. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, it, never entirely sure what the time destructor is supposed. Wasn't core or something? The terinium like core of the time destructor. Yes. yes, not, yes. No one's entirely sure what that's actually going to do, um, but the Daleks are hell bent on getting it, mm-hmm. and our heroes are hell bent on stopping it. I think the other thing, you know, with the secret agents, with um, Mark Corey and yeah. um, his sister, 
Um, oh, oh, Brett Vian in oh, sorry, yes. Kingdom. Okay, I bet, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, they're, they're all space agents. They're yeah. all space agents. So I think, you know, some kind of you know, daring do mm-hmm. with space age. I mean, very much like the culture, which is all... I mean, the fun, fun thing about those culture books is that ostensibly Ian M. Banks has created a society where there shouldn't be any peril at all. Right. So all the protagonists are all kind of secret agents who are um, <laughs> trying going, to keep it all together, going into peril. Exactly. So yeah, mm-hmm. we have we have secret agents, and I said you know plenty of spaceships, and we have a guardian of the solar system. We have mm-hmm. creatures from other universes, other galaxies. Uh, yeah, it's definitely space opera. Does the Doctor get separated from the TARDIS at all in this one? Yeah. No. I mean, I think there's enough separation from the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, because again, I mean, the problem with the TARDIS, as we know, is it has the propensity to be a plot-solving right. entity where basically all you do is get in the TARDIS and like, bam, Bob's mm-hmm. your uncle. I mean, again, I mean, let's fast forward to the finale of the current series. Oh, yeah. You know, if they just nip back into the TARDIS instead of trying to fight those <laughs> Cybermen without using the TARDIS, then right. it would have been completely different. So, I mean, you have to separate people from the TARDIS mm-hmm. um, for it to be space opera, really. So I think the successful space operas, and I'll use that in air quotes, like the Space Pirates, the Doctor is from the get-go separated from the TARDIS, uh, Frontier in Space. The Doctor is separated from the TARDIS. It seems like that's a key element of being a successful space opera in Doctor Who. Absolutely. You've got to get the TARDIS out of the picture, um, Mm -hmm. and then from thence the opera will arise. Yeah, just travel by spaceship. Yeah, and I think, you know, the TARDIS, it's an anti-space opera device. It's the device that destroys opera <laughs> um, because it allows it allows the hero a huge amount of flexibility to fix things, basically. Well, it's interesting. I think that Chibnall could have done space opera because in the end of Twice Upon a Time in the regeneration of Capaldi to Whitaker, he loses the TARDIS. And he could have had the whole of Series 11 be space opera. And he begins kind of space opera with the ghost monument with spaceships. Definitely. Spaceships. Trying to hunt down and find this TARDIS across the universe. but Super beings. Yeah, no, no, no. Drops it. Drops it right away. Yeah, which is which is a shame because you know we were kind of I mean you know, we at the time you and I kind of yeah said well maybe this will be a season of kind of TARDIS finding mm-hmm. um, which I think would have been much better than what we got <laughs> it would have been it would have been different would have been differenter than what we got certainly um, well and, I mean you you could almost see the skeleton there because you had that Pating episode you had uh, the Battle of Ranskur of Kolos very which, operatic yes yeah so you could have had these bits, but then you still needed, uh, you still had like Demons of the Punjab and Rosa, which, and, and the Witchfinders, which really didn't fit with the space opera. So I wonder, I wonder if the, uh, the writer's room of ideas didn't come through with enough stories to make it the space opera. Yeah. And I think actually, I mean, the great, I mean, maybe, well, you know, obviously these podcasts are pretty discursive, so we'll just, I'll just stick with this comment. I mean, the great thing about Doctor, I mean, basically all science fiction shows right. sort of veer towards the operatic and the space opera, you know, like mm-hmm. Star Trek and Blake Seven, Battlestar Galactica, both kinds, right. you mm-hmm. know, all of it kind of like, it drifts towards the operatic because everyone's in a spaceship. And the stakes are very high because, of right. course, why wouldn't they be high? Um, you know, the people are very heroic. The women right. are very pliant and also heroic. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Doctor Who is, of course, he kind of short circuits all that. 
Right. Um, and it doesn't have to do that because the Doctor is A, an alien, and B, has a time machine, and C, doesn't really care that much. So, I mean, you know, about the high stakes at a particular period of history. He or she is just going in for that brief moment to yep. uh, kind of alter the outcome. It isn't like Luke, who has that whole family story yep. baked in. Although, I don't know, Chibnall now with the Timeless Child, the well, doctor think, is baked yeah. into this greater story, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think both Moffat and I think particularly Chibnall um, have, ha- have got operatic tendencies um i would certainly look at um heaven sent hell bent as being definitely operatic i mean any uh, any sci-fi show where there's people in big collars marching across desert landscapes <laughs> and there's a big spaceship and everyone's got guns i mean that's that's space opera basically and also the opera the opera is, is twofold we got the opera in the classic italian german operatic uh musical theater but you also have the soap opera which rtd comes from True. and moffat comes from where you have these melodramas these uh soaps going on with if essentially with companions and we had that wholesale in the rtd era very much so with uh rose's family with martha and with donna but uh, we don't have that so much with uh, Amy, who's an orphan, and Rory, whose dad really was only in there due to Chibnall. So it's uh, it, it's a it's a mix of operatic elements. We have that high theater and drama, but then we also have the soap opera aspect. But then, then again, I mean, I think one of the to me one of the definitions of space opera is there aren't really any characters. Everybody acts in. You know, kind of, uh, there are a set of kind of cliched characters who act in a way that is exactly predictable, um, which mm. is what makes Star Wars a kind of preeminent space opera because everyone is an archetype of some kind and they all act exactly as their archetypes would expect them to do. Um, part of my kind of interest and appreciation for the RTD era is that it's not really archetypes, um, it is a soap opera in that, you know, you have real ostensibly kind of real characters doing real things but in a in a space fiction envelope um and i think i've said this before i mean part of my challenge with appreciating moffat's work is that he can't really write real characters very well um he can write versions of himself both male and female but he can't really write anyone else and also i think and i think that's also part of chibnall's challenge chibnall's challenge (laughs) <laughs> As part of Chibnall's challenge is to also write effective characters. What I like about RTD and his school of writers is that a lot of them, you know, came from soap opera writing. Right. You know, and soap opera is, is, is all about characters. You know, nothing is really supposed to... Nothing. I mean, I mean and again, I mean, uh, we don't want to get sidetracked into soap opera because we're supposed to be talking about space opera. But, you know, there's a great difference between American soap opera, which is a, a joke, basically um and british soap opera which is less of a joke and more of an endless serious drama Mm -hmm. it's a serial drama versus uh kind of a cartoon i think in the u.s soaps yeah i mean i i mean the the u.s doesn't i mean the u.s had primetime soaps you know in the 80s with dynasty and dallas and and that which which are a lot more soap (laughs) and and soap confused you will be (laughs) Uh, which, which I think are the near, are, are nearer to the English, you know, conception of what a soap opera is. 
the only the difference there, of course, and I think we've said this before on this podcast, the difference between those primetime American soaps is that, as like so much in America, it was it has an obsessive interest in rich people and no interest at all in poor people. Whereas British soaps, primetime soaps, have a complete disinterest in rich people and an obsessive interest in poor people. Hmm. Was The Archers, that's a radio soap, and that is uh, rich people or poor people? or It's is... country people. Um, so you have a mixture of rich and poor, and actually a pretty good balance of rich people and poor people. I mean, they're farmers. So, you know, you're a mm-hmm. farmer, you can become poor pretty much instantly if you play your cards right or wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's farm laborers, the Grundys are a farm laborer family. So, Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, by and large, I mean, there's not really a British primetime soap opera that's about rich people. I mean, they've tried mm-hmm. it like Howard's Way and things like that, but um, it's never really worked that well because in by and large, British people don't like rich people. Hmm. When by and large, America, like everyone loves rich people with a pathological intensity, um, yeah. uh, which explains the current president, I guess, in some <laughs> ways. Uh, yes. Um, so in the... 60s we had the Dalek master plan and and then the space pirates and then as soon as the doctor and Zoe and Jamie were on the scene they get separated from the TARDIS and the whole adventure is spent trying to regain the TARDIS and they solve a little bit of space piracy along the way but then in the 70s the doctor and Joe Grant are swept up in a war and yeah that war is reflective of the times right. and the Vietnam War and the conflicts, but also I think it's a key aspect of peril that's common in space operas. And really, I think the frontier in space is the closest Doctor Who has ever gotten to a true space opera uh, story. Yeah, though I mean, there's I think there's space opera elements throughout the Pertwee era, especially Pertwee stories that don't have the TARDIS. I'm, I'm thinking Colony in Space, and I'm thinking um, the Mutants. Mm-hmm. Yes, it all takes place on one planet, but there are spaceships and there are colonists and there are evil captains and evil governors and <laughs> aliens and, you know, concealed mega weapons mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and mysterious alien races going through kind of unexplained sort of, you know, uh, trans transmogrifications. So I'd, I'd say those are kind of space opera, to be honest. Do you think uh, the uh, Curse of Peladon, the first Peladon story, is space opera, even though it takes place on Peladon? I think it's more kind of space gothic, I'd have said. Because hmm. it's gloomy, there's a gloomy castle. It's more kind of Dracula-y mm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Gothic, yeah. Yeah, yeah space yeah. gothic um, than space opera. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put Colony in space and... Um, the other one I said, the mutants the in mutants, that yeah. in that box as well, mm-hmm. but definitely frontier in space because there's lots mm-hmm. of flying around in spacecraft. Mm-hmm. There's always a desire of fandom to kind of you know mash, as I think was intended by the originally intended by the production crew to mash frontier in space and planet of the Daleks together as one big story. True, um, yep. that's never really been very convincing to me. I mean, I yes, they are kind of one big story. I they're supposed to be, but. The characters don't really acknowledge it as being one big story, so it's never really kind of worked for me. Yeah, it's always been a big letdown, honestly, when you get to the frontier in space and you have that cliffhanger at the end of part six, and then you switch into a totally different writer, Terry Nation, and it's a typical Terry Nation story where you have the Thals fighting the Daleks on this alien planet. Jungle planet, yeah. And I think if there'd been Thals in frontier in space in some ways, if the Thals had been 
fighting the Ogrons allied with the Draco. And, you know, they, 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 or if they had some planet hopping in Planet of the Daleks. Exactly. If they'd gone to another planet or something, yeah, then it would have fitted well. But they're two completely different stories, basically. Or even have Delgado in there. Unfortunately, that was uh, Frontier's yeah. last role. So yeah. that there, there wasn't much to connect the two. And the point, I guess, with that is the Doctor is separated from the TARDIS. And with the other two stories you, you mentioned of Colony in Space and the Mutants, the Doctor is again separated from the TARDIS. Yeah. I wonder why Letts and Dix didn't uh, do more space opera in the 70s, in that early part of the 70s, when yeah. they had the Doctor separated from the TARDIS. You could imagine, instead of resetting at the end of, say, the Mutants, the Doctor gets on another assignment for the Time Lords or, or gets swept up on a spaceship with the Draconians or something kind of... Secret agents. Uh, he can yeah. have... Yeah, ha or ha have adventures outside of the TARDIS, uh, off, off Earth, but away from the TARDIS, being swept along through space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, the Draconians are a kind of absolutely typical space opera alien race. I'm, I've always been kind of vaguely amazed that we've never had the Dr Draconians ever come back again. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that, you know, I don't know, someone like Moffat didn't want to bring those guys back. Or um, maybe the Chib will. Who knows? Or Gatiss. Gatiss seems like he would have been all Gatiss would have been, that. yeah. Well, I, I guess that's why I was thinking Moffat. I mean, Moffat and mm -hmm. Gatiss would have brought back the... I yeah. mean, you can just imagine Mark Gatiss playing a draconian going all like, Draconats! Like <laughs> he'd love all, it. Being all sibilant. Yeah. Yeah, he'd, he'd, make, he'd make an excellent... And, and actually, as much as we like to laugh at Mark, um, he would, he'd make an excellent draconian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, David Williams could have been another draconian. He'd have been a good draconian, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of good draconians out there. Come on, come on, guys. Let's bring back Step the draconians. It up. Step up the game. Step up the game. Bring, bring back the draconians. What space opera would you point to in the in the Baker era, if at all? Uh, I think it's a little harder because uh, Revenge of the Cybermen sort of uh, has that space opera feel to it. It does. It does. I, mean, I think, oh, again, I think another good sort of defining characteristic of space opera is matter transmission. I mean, the way... The way that you get from <laughs> the spaceship to the planet. You don't, mm -hmm. don't always have to have a shuttlecraft. You can just beam right. down like Star Trek. Or Blake 7. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which then also might might imply that um, uh, the Seeds of Death could be space opera. Ooh, a T-Mat. That could be. Yeah, because there's spaceships in that. And there's also... T-Mat. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's in the Seeds of Death the uh, teleportation, the matter transportation that made spaceships defunct. They yeah. didn't have any, they didn't have to go between planets. I guess you use TMAT to get between uh, the moon and the earth, but you weren't going anywhere else. You weren't going beyond. It was kind of a dead end in space exploration, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I was thinking that maybe, I don't know, maybe things like um, okay, Nightmare of Eden, possibly. Well, you do have the two ships there. Yeah, there's two uh, ships. Um, Underworld, perhaps. Yeah, Underworld. He has a, you know, it has a thousand-year mission. You know, there's kind mm -hmm. of, there's, the stakes are very high. The people are very old. If they would have had, uh, like, a prequel to Underworld, 
where you'd have a, a setup where you'd ha see them failing several times to build up on that. You could see that being a whole space opera of yeah. season 15, but yeah. not a lot of space opera in the Baker years, I would think. No. I mean, I always thought that Face of Evil is kind of Star Trekky. Mm -hmm which implies there might be a bit of space opera going on there, but there's no spaceships and they're all on one planet. Um, and as soon as they get to like Zoanan, it all becomes like crazy computer mm -hmm. time. So, yeah. You do have a spaceship in Planet of Evil, but you're not really going anywhere. You're, you're trying to escape the planets. More something else, I guess. Yeah, you're trying to... Well, it's, it's more Doctor Who is what it is. Yeah. I mean, Doctor Who is pretty much its own genre at this point. Yeah. In some mm -hmm. ways. A Planet of Evil. Yeah, they're trying to escape... Yeah, as, as as you would do actually, they're trying to escape a planet of evil. You don't want to stay. If a planet is an evil planet, you want to leave it as quickly as possible. You want to try to head to the planet of comfort the or of, relative. The calm. planet of good. The, the, the planet of reasonable <laughs> comfort. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Davison era. I think uh, Earthshock stands out as space opera. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. There's spaceships. There's a, there's cyber. I mean, Cybermen are kind of an operatic, a little bit characters. Fast forward in time to Silver Nemesis, you have the uh, Wagnerian Cybermen, oh, yeah. uh, the giants to the Nazis, uh, Supermen or whatever. Yeah, to so their... it's, it's space German opera. So yeah, Cybermen are kind of space operatic, and then Chibnall again uses them in the Ascension of the Cybermen and then Timeless Children. Yep. as kind of kind of that role and then the uh, the Gallifreyan Legion the Cybermasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a flamboyant opera, an Italian opera there. An Italian opera, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think again as we've said as you start to go into New Who, you know there are operatic tendencies um all the way through. Mm -hmm. That first series with uh RTD series 1 in 2005 with the long game Bad Wolf, Parting in the Ways, all. Yeah, yeah, see, but I, I don't know. I mean, I would count, uh, let's go back to this soap opera thing again. <laughs> I would count RTD as more like French, kind of sort of Lab OM hmm. style opera, mm -hmm. kind of more sort of domestic mm -hmm. opera rather than the kind of grand Italian opera, which is the kind of the cl your classic space opera. Right. Um, I, think, I, I think you really have to go into the Moffat era before you get some kind of grand sweeping operatic activity in my opinion what would you think of a moffat opera then well um <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of put you on the spot here i kind of lose interest at various points during the moffat era mm -hmm. it all starts to blur together in a kind of unnecessarily complex melange of silliness um i'm no offense but how about the whole a good man goes to war let's kill hitler yeah the the river song i just said that's a mess rather than a space opera really <laughs> well he was trying for that i think uh that band of rabble to take on this unseen or this uh, silence the force of the silence and he has these hints of space opera like with rory on the bridge of the cyber ship or in the time of angels of flesh and stone with river on the spaceship robbing the spaceship then being ejected in space and then falling into the tardis and then having the wreck of the Byzantium, the spaceship. That's space that, opera. That of... Yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I'd go, I'd go with that. I go with that. But I mean, think again. I mean, you you have to try and remove. I mean, the problem with Moffat being completely space opera, he is that he's so keen on the timey wimey 
yeah wibbly wobbly stuff um you know i think space opera is kind of it's a clean genre i think and the kind of wheels within wheels that moffat delights in it is not particularly mm-hmm. space opera i mean i guess i'm kind of contradicting myself here but you know i think space opera is more linear than what moffat would do yeah that's what i mean yeah linear exactly exactly mm-hmm. so if we go yeah. if we go back into time here with uh, it's it's why like the trial of the time lord isn't space opera even though it takes place in a space station it has all the different locations terra the vervoids takes out a place on a spaceship it's not linear where you're going from this location this planet to this planet to this orbital to this space station it's timey-wimey in that it, it's a slice of the doctor's adventures on this trial and then ultimately you wind up in the matrix Right, 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 right. I think you need that linear progression, like in Star Wars, where you're going to Tatooine, then going to Alderaan, then to Yavin, then you have a big space battle. You you have this uh, continuity that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. So, like, even even things like with the Black Guardian trilogy, where you have Modern Undead and Terminus and Enlightenment, all three of them have a space element, but they're not connected in any way. Uh, that the the luxury liner that Modern is there isn't somehow related to Terminus, and that isn't related to the Eternals race on the sailing boats around the solar system. So yeah, 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 yeah. You need that. You need that progression, that continuity, and in many ways, with the Doctor Who format of telling individual stories, it it doesn't work for space opera. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I think, you know, space opera is essentially, you know, it's pretty simplistic stuff, usually. Mm -hmm. And of course, ironically, you know, it was Star Wars, ostensibly, where, you know, during the 80s is what Doctor Who is being beaten with all the time. It's like, well, why why isn't this more like Star Wars? That was Michael Grade's boring refrain, when actually what was good about Doctor Who is that it wasn't like Star Wars. And JNT didn't uh, really embrace space opera i mean you could have seen going from resurrection of the daleks to through planet of the fire to caves of androzani you could have made that a space opera of somehow you could have linked those stories all together because you have that space travel element in caves of androzani you're on a space station in resurrection of the daleks and you have this uh, ancient religion in uh, planet of fire those are all elements of space opera but that continuity that progress from one location to another doesn't really fit and you have the operatic elements with tegan leaving and turlo leaving but it's not stitched together in the star wars space opera way no no and i think it's all the better for it to be honest Mm -hmm. because it's doctor who and i like doctor who more than anything else Mm -hmm. so yeah that's what works for me Although, I go back to Series 11, I really thought a space opera format would have worked really well with the Doctor separated from the TARDIS, and you have that series, the Doctor looking for the TARDIS and ultimately being reunited with the TARDIS at the end. That would have been the series arc. Yeah, the Doctor having to, you know, hijack spaceships, and I don't know... um... Yeah, I mean, I think... um, I mean, they could have, you know, they could have, yes. Hitchhike, if you will. Hitchhike around the galaxy. Yeah, they could. Yeah, the Doctor hitchhikes hitchhikes around the galaxy. They all could have had their towels mm-hmm. and um, could have gotten the hell on with it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Their microwave subether thumbs and exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, the space opera. Yeah, there you go. Not a format that works well for Doctor Who, then. At least not. no writer, no showrunner has really embraced it and said, let's change Doctor Who, a show that can be anything. It dips into space opera very infrequently and not at any sustained rate. I mean, this is what is amazing about Doctor Who is it can, you know, because it's just in this incredibly flexible format we can dip into various genres but it doesn't have to stay there Mm -hmm. it can do space opera when it feels like it Mm -hmm. Um, but when it doesn't feel like it the doctor can just get into the tardis um and go back to you know the time of the aztecs or Mm -hmm. help king james root out some alien witches (laughs) you know it's it's, that's that's what's great about it it's Mm -hmm. not you're not stuck in one era and you're not stuck on one spaceship the challenge of something like star trek is you know you've got to have the physics of a some kind of faster than light drive for everything to function. And again, right. Doctor Who just kind of, kind of completely sort of circumnavigates that and right. says that we're not going to bother with it, pretending that we've got some way to travel faster than light. Mm-hmm. We have a magic box that can basically take you wherever you want. It's Adam's infinite improbability drive. It's every every space opera needs their get out of uh, the distance free card that space really is because things are really far away from each other and generational spaceships aren't space opera exactly exactly but um you know what's great about doctor it goes one step further and says okay not only we're not going to bother about distance um we're not going to bother about time either in fact all Mm -hmm. we're going to do is we're just going to hop from one adventure to the next right and how you get the distance in time or the distance in space between those adventures is is irrelevant because it's not really interesting for the story so we're just going to get the hell on with it so you're suggesting that space opera then isn't interesting or isn't interesting then in the uh, guise of Doctor Who? Um, I think you have to work hard to make it a rewarding genre. Um, in my mind, it's not one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it works, it works really well. I think it works well with Ian M. Banks and I think it works well with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Most of it, though, leaves me relatively cold, that kind of science fiction. It seems like you need a war to make it really relevant in a non-comedic way because uh, Banks has the war against their Adirans and the culture. Adirans, yeah. And Star Wars has the Empire or the whatever the new version of the Empire is and the Rebellion or the Resistance, First Order Resistance. And Battlestar Galactica, you have the humans versus the Cylons. Blake 7, you have Blake versus the uh, Federation. Federation. So it's it, you have that built-in conflict in Doctor Who, like where you have the successful space opera, say Dalek Master Plan and Frontier in Space, you have that war footing and you have the Daleks. But the Doctor isn't generally the fighter, isn't the Jedi, isn't trying to do the battle. It's always trying to solve, well, the ideal, I guess, is trying to solve the problem without arms or without a conflict yeah it's the disruption of the genre is when you have uh, yeah. mccoy like in remembrance who has this ancient weapon of gallifrey that blows up scarrow that isn't really a doctor who solution i think no i mean the other thing is as everyone knows i mean the doctor tries to solve problems by being clever rather than being better at fighting than the other person is right and I think that's what makes it, you know, an interesting show and also a challenging show for a lot of writers because it's a lot easier just to, you know, come up with me an ancient super weapon and like, bam, okay, job done. 
Um, or a uh, pseudo cyber fighting Jedi who comes in and self sacrifices by blowing up Gallifrey. Yeah, exactly. Which is you know it's it's te- it's it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who at its best is a clever show, um, and clever things happen. Right. The other thing that the Doctor Who avoids, which I kind of appreciate, is the Doctor doesn't really have a journey. Um, one of the kind of tedious things about Star Wars is there's like a hero's journey and there's like a villain's journey <laughs> and the, you go from like farm boy to Jedi and you right. know from farm boy to Sith Lord. You know, it's like, okay, like, everyone has to progress, um, which right. is ostensibly supposed to be interesting and, you know, rewarding, but actually it's really dull because they all progress in exactly the same way. What is great about the Doctor is he, she doesn't really change that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. even the attempts to have the character change, really, that doesn't really happen because they never really do. And right. also, I mean, again, I think, I mean, the companions, in some ways, it's, it's Doctor Who is, is at its least successful when the companions change, you know, when they die mm. or get cross or, you know, leave the TARDIS because they're irritated, you know, because they become older or something. What's great about Doctor Who is that the, the kind of core characters, if Doctor Who happens to other people, the core characters of the show sort of remain the same and you're not worried about them. That's why I think it has its, why it has its, it's all part and parcel of the show having its origin in a kid's show. You know, the core characters in a kid's show are never really under serious threat. Hmm. They are always saving the characters in the story. Those are the people who are under threat. Right. And that's sort of what I like about it, really. Well, I think there's been change. I think especially if we look at the first time team with Hartnell, Ian, and Barbara, especially, they have a change. They go through some character growth. But afterwards, once Ian and Barbara leave, I think the Doctor's character starts to get fixed. Yeah. It becomes static. And I don't mind that. I think that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I sort of prefer that. And I think the only reason I prefer that is it's very different from pretty much all other kinds of drama, hmm. I think. Except for sitcoms where the characters always seem to be the same and you always have the reset at the end of the story. So in, yeah, in I my mean, thinking, Doctor I mean, Who is much like a sitcom, but sci-fi fantasy drama yeah it's it's i i i i'm i'm not entirely sure how to continue with that argument but yeah that's it, maybe it is closer to a sitcom hmm. something happens every week but no one ever really changes <laughs> the stakes are high but they're not high for the characters at the central part of the story the ones we follow from absolutely week to week mm-hmm. i wonder if since space opera doesn't seem to be a natural fit for doctor who if there's such a thing and maybe moffat has already done this is time opera Ooh. and that's where timey wimey comes into place or we have a series like the key to time where we're just hopping together on a very loose arc of uh finding the segments of the key to time or moffat's timey wimey river song mythology i think that's a very perceptive comment yeah i think maybe moffat and through the medium of doctor who has created an entirely new genre which is Time opera, not space opera, but time opera. It's it's perhaps it's something to uh, consider. I think where you run into the limitations of a show like Star Trek in storytelling is space opera gets old. 
If you have week after week, you're traveling to a planet, you're battling the Klingons or the Romulans, eventually the writers are going to freak out and they're going to spin Kirk and Spock back into time and battle Roman gods or something like that. It's, 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 it's not something that seems sustainable for any extended period of time. It becomes wearisome and predictable storytelling, especially if your main characters reset pretty much at the end of the serial like they do in Doctor Who. I think in a true space opera, you're going to have to see people come and go throughout the epic. Yeah, well, I mean, again, because it takes place in real time, people get older. Right. Just look at Mark Hamill. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, they can't really... He's not, he's not going to be young Luke Skywalker right. forever. Um, he's going to have to turn into old Luke Skywalker. And as soon as he becomes old like Luke Skywalker, we're going to have to kill him <laughs> because that's the job of old people in space operas. Their job is to die or be evil. Sacrifice themselves, usually. Yep, that's Yeah, the, they sacrifice themselves very much the as... Obi-Wan paradigm. Exactly, or Koshamas. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as usual, I mean, all all this all this demonstrates is the Doctor Who is a better show than any other show. <laughs> it does get locked, though, in in a formula. I think the Hinchcliffe era got sort of locked into a Gothic period. I, I think that was more Bob Holmes than anyone else. But it was hard to shake him from that until he just became so cynical and jaded that he just left the show along with Hinchcliffe. Right. But I think right. where you saw a change of that creativity when you had Graham Williams come in as producer, you have a whole new way of telling stories like with The Key to Time where you have that really first series arc going through. And it's a loose series arc, but at least it's a it's a MacGuffin that follows each story and ties them together. Yeah, and again, I mean, there's some Star Trekky and therefore possibly space opera, you know, moments in Key to Time. I mean, I always think that um, the Rebos operation is kind of a Star Trekky episode. You know, our heroes go to a backward planet and they have to solve a heist. And of course, uh, Armageddon Factor as well, possibly too. Well, that begins total soap opera, space opera at the beginning where the televised drama that the Armageddon Factor begins with where young men are dying for it. Young men are dying for it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Very space opera Phrase that launched a thousand innuendos with Doctor Who fans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, there you go. Space opera, everybody. Not something that is very common in Doctor Who for... You'd have to... I guess the showrunner has to work really hard at it to separate first the Doctor from the TARDIS and then knit together some continuity of a war or some kind of struggle that the Doctor would get swept away in. Yeah, it's used sparingly, and therefore, when it does happen, it's, it can be quite effective. Even when you have hints of a space opera, like Inside the Dalek, it's abandoned. It's not continued on beyond that initial serial, so Inside the Dalek was a one-off. Yeah, as it should be. I think that's fine. Okay. Yep, I'm, I'm not clamoring for more uh, space opera in Doctor Who at all. <laughs> Don't bring it on for season 13. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's enough space opera around without yep. shoehorning into Doctor Who with for no really apparent reason. Yep. Firefly, Serenity, you, you have it all. You it's, name it's, it. It's it is the standard in sci-fi. I think so, yeah. That's where Doctor Who breaks the mold. But, I mean, when it's done well, it's good. But, I mean, I think like all genres, you know, you have to work at it. You can't just sort of right. expect it to happen. Um, yeah. You've got to work hard at it, yeah. All right, so I think next time we talked about dusting off a big finish. Yeah, I think we can dust off a big finish. Um, Let us consider which big finish to dust off. I think we had mentioned Blood Tide. 
We had mentioned Blood Tide. You are correct. Blood Tide it is. Maggie Stables as Dr. Evelyn Smythe and Colin Baker as Doctor Who. Yeah, perfect. Uh, a classic Big Finish Doctor partner combination. Yes, it is. So we will rejoin the Sixth Doctor and Evelyn Smythe on their adventures. We last heard from them on the podcast with the Spectre of Lanyon Moore, which was a cracker. So looking forward to this one. Blood Tide. Excellent. Evelyn Smythe. Yes, it should be good. And I think some special guest monsters with the Silurians, possibly. I think you're correct. And the Murka. And the Murka. Cool. All right. Excellent. So dust off your big finished CD and download collection and blood tide it is. Perfect. Thank you for listening to episode 155 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been traveling through space and time with Ben. And I have been attempting to locate the elusive Turinium core for my time destructor with David. And until next week. Farewell, brave space knight. Thank you.